The Trek Files, Season 6, Episode 12, Fan Letter from Velma Sablin, October 25th, 1971. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, Star Trek fans, Star Trek history fans, of course. All you Kennedystas, I say that lovingly. <laughs> In short, all of you Trekophiles spelled with an F. Hey, we've got a returning guest with us this week, but we're also returning to the topic of, gosh, Star Trek fandom then and now. We've got a really, really sweet plaintive letter from a fan right out of Gene's mailbag from 1971. And then you're going to want to hear who I've got to come back and talk about it. So listen here to this audio excerpt. But of course, the whole thing is there on our page as it is every week. Facebook.com slash The Trek Files. You can see all of our documents every week there. Take a look, take a listen, and I will be right back with this week's guest. There is hope, Mr. Roddenberry, through your imaginative creations that you have pointed the way for the many young people such as myself. You have, in a very unique way, shown me that life is worth living, that all my efforts and struggles are not just a futile, exasperating attempt to win the almighty dollar, and there is, in fact, a point of reference worth living for. Thank you for the glimpse of what the world of my children's children will be like, and most of all, thank you for putting meaning back in my life. Well, there you go, Trekophiles. Um, if I hadn't told you what year that letter was written, <laughs> could that have been an extended Instagram post somewhere made today? I mean, you know, uh, of course, Gene has long passed us, but his creation is still with us. This is uh, just there, there's these kinds of letters are all through the mailbag. And if you're looking at the document, the red ink there is from uh, Gene's longtime assistant, Susan Sackett, as she was working on her Letters to Star Trek book. And also just what she's going to take out of the, the mailbag as it came in and and show the boss, you know, what was she thought was worthy of the of a filter that she was to, to pass on and, and potentially have him um, have him respond to, which he did in this case. Um, so, yes, it's amazing that this is also 1971 early in the time. And it's amazing that Jean would 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 write back to her. But we're talking about generations. We're talking about something, a topic that I think is really relevant today again. And you know what? We have a living embodiment <laughs> of the generations then and now. And yes, if you've been a regular listener, you've heard him lately. I am so thrilled to have back on the show, Noah Averback Katz. Larry, it's great to be back. Yes. You know, it's, it's crazy looking at this full letter because I really do feel like I feel like my mom in her dark hour might have I was going to say about your mom. And long before, I should say, if people are just joining us, long before you were uh, not only married to the great Mary Wiseman, our own Sylvia Tilly, but in your own right, the tragic but very sensitive uh, Andorian Wren from the third season of Discovery. Yes, indeed. Yeah. You, you were know, famously I, I said out there uh, a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I was a fan. Very much a <laughs> Capital fan. F. Yeah. And very much a generational fan as my mom sort of um, made the decision for me that I was going to like Star Trek. And it, it certainly stuck. And that's why I'm still in the family will. 
Did you have siblings? I have no only? siblings, an only child, okay. so all the Star Trek energy was directed <laughs> fiercely at me. So what? How old were you when she? I mean, you kind of grew up with it. She had trappings around, like posters yes, and books yes. you and know, the, all that. Everyone has asked me, you know, what was the sort of first memory? There is no first memory. It was on, just it was just on. You know, uh, I sort of grew up watching a little bit of Voyager, and then really went for the first time went episode to episode from start mm -hmm. uh, with Enterprise. Um, and uh, but 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 the whole time was, of course, dipping into the reruns. You know, this is all pre pre Netflix, pre, pre oh, right. this. It was, you know, whatever is replaying on UPN. That's what I'm watching. Did of, she of have tapes? End. Did she home record visa VCR tapes? I think there was some home recordings. I think we had bought like a couple of, you know, single standalone tapes. So it was sort of the as everybody was in, in those days, sort of the gamut of hoping to catch a good one on the rerun and then if not you know throw in the tape instead yeah now this now just to clarify our letter this week our, our document of the week is here from Velma Sablin or Sablan uh, from Marquette University writing to Gene again in 1971 so early early the first Star Trek convention has just happened and there's a lot of national press about that so things are starting to take the big national, you know, swell, even if you're outside of L.A. and New York or a population center. And she's saying all the all the tropes that we know about first generation fandom. And I don't know. So you you bridge that yourself. How old were you when your mom took you to your first convention? Boy, you know, I must have been nine, eleven in there, you know, very, very young. And then again, if maybe 13, 12, you know, a couple of times. So where was your process in, okay, mom, I'll go along with you on this to, yeah, you know, um, on for your own sake and going, oh my God. And, you know, whether it was like little kid, ooh, the phasers are cool and mm -hmm. the ships are cool and pew pew and bright colors, or when you started, you know, getting the second layer of Star Trek. I mean, what, you know, when did that happen? I think it was one of the things where she was like, get in the car now we're going you know and i was like what do you mean like is this is where are you taking me where are you taking me um so so uh you know once once i was there it was one of these things which i think so many sort of of the older star trek generation fans who are going to conventions could sort of uh, uh uh remember which is just it was such a different place to be you know there were no sort of weird nerd spaces there mm -hmm. was no internet there was no like let's go see something that we're not going to see every other day so once you were there it really just felt like a whole other world and of course you know love going through all the different things you could buy and the little knickknacks and the expensive stuff which you could never afford and would be crazy to buy but it just couldn't believe you were looking at it so it was just so it's just such a different world you know when you step into especially those those older conventions those conventions that were in just like a big basement of a Marriott somewhere, you know, it just, it, 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 it had no sheen. It had sort of no, no sort of like special veneer or anything like that. No, no hall H. <laughs> exactly. No, no big network PR budget dedicated into flying people exactly. across the country. Right. I mean, yes. exactly. You know, and, and it's great now that it is so pr produced in a way, but out of the closet. Yes, exactly. You know, it's, it's very mm -hmm. much the, the geeks geek one thing to do. The geeks definitely yeah. won. Yeah. In yeah. A big well, way. there's money there. It took a long time for that arc to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's what I mean. You're from, you know, that generation. I'm just, I'm just wondering what, so you were told to get in the car. What was it about Star Trek for you 
that hooked in? Was it the characters, the 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 morals and messages and meanings? Was it ooh the cool spaceships and props? You know that's such a good question. I think it was. Really- was it hey I like those Andorian guys. I'd love to play one one. <laughs> yeah, that was on my mind all the way back then. I think it was really. You know, it was one of the few shows on television that you could sit down with your family and process something together. You know, you could process, you know, everybody sort of would go through, you know, the sort of journey of what it's like to lose somebody or what it's like to gain something or what it's like to win in the end. I don't know. There's just a really family oriented idea, but not in the sort of 90s sitcom way where everyone sits down with the TV dinner and just hangs out. It really felt like, you know, you were all sort of going through this shared experience together and you all, because it was explored in such a a, a delicate and, and in-depth way, you really could feel like, oh, by the end of this, we sort of have this common language about how to talk about these certain things or how to how we might feel in these situations or or how my mom might feel differently than my dad might feel. So I think a lot of it really did have to do with sort of the the communal experience of sort of going through these uh, like Star Trek emotional roller coasters together. And see, that's there's two or three things bundled up here. And I think this is a 1971 letter. This was a a college student, right? You know, she's like the all the angst and the purity of youth here <laughs> that she's pouring out to this old guy in his show that's dead, you know, but it's still alive for her. And that's what first fandom was. But we go back and forth between thinking, especially back then, of Star Trek being a kid's show, right? And it's on after school. But how many families like yours sat down and watched it together? And then I think about that was the 70s and the 80s, and we think about all the tropes. Oh, Vietnam and Watergate and the, the ecology movement. You know, the green movement was new and how Star Trek spoke to that and the youth movement. And it was all just tailor-made for each other. And then that generation, you know, got movies. And then the next generation comes and speaks to a new generation or so. But I always – I remember thinking by the 90s that the 80s and 90s and the dot-com boom before the bust couldn't hold a candle to – the insecurity of the 60s and how Star Trek spoke to that hunger the way this letter is writing. And then fast forward to today, and this is what I you're in a unique place to talk about because you bridge that and you and Mary bridge that. Um, you do. And then her in your pocket. But I mean, uh, that I thought things got a little cushy in the 90s. It was almost like Star Trek was all about the adventure and the coolness and didn't really reach into the depths that people thought it tapped and that it answered for them the way this young lady is talking here. The way way we have it in our rosy mind of the past, the way 60s, 70s fandom was. And then yet look here today. That's, you know, the representational factor is huge with so much of the popularity of Discovery the nostalgia too, and Picard, and and the snappiness of Lower Decks, and but all the all the buffet flavors that are coming, but that if there is a and we t- people talk about this, if there is a, if there are some divisions in fandom, and I don't want to make more of it than there is, but th- to me they seem to fall along generational lines, but it's almost like people who came along and forgot that that was the roots of Star Trek in the beginning, and it's it's odd to me to see. Discovery, especially tapping into so many fans is, you know, here's what I yearn for in my own life and you're giving it to me that I want to see change. 
And some people are a little uneasy with that. Can I just have my spaceships and my space battles? And yet that's what Star Trek was in the beginning. I, has that, that struck you at all? Yeah, yeah, I'll get I, off my high horse you know, now. No, but... it's, it's a really interesting question. I think like the two things are like, you know, what is going on for people who love Star Trek but sort of don't haven't wrapped their minds around sort of the, uh, you know, the sort of liberal elements of it for lack of a better term and then there is also this sort of really interesting thing which i've thought a lot about you know which is like how is star trek sort of reflecting the current cultural issues mm -hmm. um you know in terms of in terms of sort of people getting uh pushing against the the sort of things that star trek now is doing in terms of representation i think I think that a lot of people um, just need to catch up, you know? I think it's just A little time. future shock is going on. And, and you know, I, I think that any time something starts up again, you mm -hmm. have to push it forward. And sometimes that's uncomfortable for people. But if you want to participate in this thing, then you need to push through your comfort zone and really expand and, and be accepting. And frankly, the majority of people have done that, you know, and I think that it's mm -hmm. just sort of shocking and confusing when people push back against it. And, and, you know, it, it is like the shows it, themselves. It is such a reflection of sort of the political realities of the time. And, you know, it, it, in that sense, when you look back at, you know, when I, as somebody who didn't grow up watching, you know, either the, obviously uh, watching the original sh series, you know, and I go back and watch the original series, you know, I, I grew up seeing it, but, but, you know, it wasn't like I was watching it with a mature context, eye, you yeah, know, in, right. in, in yeah. context with sort of the political or, or cultural environment, you know, when I go back, it, it really feels like a time capsule, you know, it feels less like a TV show. It feels like a, a pure time capsule, both from the production standpoint, but also from the cultural standpoint, because the reality is, is in 2021, you know, we don't need shows where, you know, people are half black and half white and what's the right answer. Like we know the right answer, you know, we, we, we don't sort of, that, that doesn't work anymore. And I, and I think a lot of the stuff that you sort sort of saw in the second wave of Star Trek, you know, with next gen and with, um, you know, even DS9 Voyager, it's sort of this, so much of it, a lot of these episodes are very much like these sort of nineties moralistic fables, you know, where it's like, you know, is it, is it right or is it wrong? How do we handle this? And I feel like, you know, nowadays there isn't a lot of space for a moralistic fable because we we sort of know, you know, the, the sort of questions that were being sussed out, like, is it okay to be gay? We don't we don't ask that question anymore because mm -hmm. we know the mm -hmm. answer, you know. And I think and I think now we are handling that in such a different and more uh, progressive way, which is just saying, you know, here are my pronouns. This is what you call me, and then we move on. Or here are you know gay or trans characters, and they exist because they exist. They don't need to be viewed through a moral cultural lens in order for or it allegorical to be even exactly yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and and in the way that these sort of allegorical uh, framework sort of washes down and sort of uh, keeps them othered from the the the, the, the mainstream uh, culture so you know it is this change as you move away from from sort of the older style because there's just not the same room for it 
Um, and, and then you also just look at it in, as a production sense, you know, right. I think so much has changed in terms of what is expected from television, you know, what is expected from a tentpole franchise, which it is now on CBS, you know, or, or on Paramount Plus now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that that has also changed. <laughs> yes, got to stay updated I'm, there. I'm right. staying with it. And it's also <laughs> funny when you look at I, I, I think about Enterprise a lot. Uh, because that was the show I grew up on and how Enterprise is such this this glaring reflection of the sort of aughts, you know, where you sort of just really feel the the early 2000s, the sort of Britney Spears, you know, with a boa around her neck. Like it just it just looks and feels that way. And also like the conversations that they're having in that show are not really, it is this sort of time, which is like sort of the post Gen X, you know, we're, we're breaking away. This is grunge, screw all this. And sort of pre-millennial, like, oh, we're, we're moving into like, you know, real, a different kind of liberalism, you know, uh, and pre, pre-market crash. And so you have this sort of mini time capsule. But post 9-11. Exactly. It's sort of this <laughs> yeah. post 9-11. Everyone's sort of like scared and freaked out and doesn't want to push too much. And so it's, it winds up being really in fun ways, in ways that I love, but like very campy, you know, very silly, very goofy. It just, just very, it, it takes a very light touch to a lot of these things, which earlier they really attacked with a mallet, you know? And I think I just find that really interesting. And then I think in Discovery too, you know, they're just doing so much and, and, you know, I think that they can do more, you know, that's the thing mm-hmm. that, that my sort of hope for Discovery and for all the new shows is that they keep driving forward. And I do think Alex uh, is doing a really, really good job of that and sort of, you know, staying cognizant, staying, staying up with it and, and pushing forward. And I, I continue to encourage from afar that, that the show keeps pushing forward, doesn't get complacent. You know, I, I think so many major institutions point to the thing where they say, you know, uh, we have the first interracial kiss. So we're good. You know, we're good. Whatever we do, we're fine. <laughs> well, 50 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah. think a lot about baseball. I'm a big baseball fan. And I think about how they, you know, sort of trot out Jackie Robinson every day while, you know, they they do very little <laughs> to actually back that up. And and it, it, it makes me very happy that Star Trek is continuing to forge that legacy. Um, and, I, and I hope they continue to do that. Yeah. All that while also pioneering what the heck does a serialized streaming Star Trek look like yes, after it's, yeah, it's, and finding that balance. It's definitely yeah. a difficult thing to figure out. I, and I think they would admit they're still, you know, figuring out that what that means. I do think that this season was probably, you know, one of the most successful ones I've ever watched and, and really starting to find its footing. And yeah, it's just been it's 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 exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, again, um, this letter from 1971, I just love the pure joy that she has. And I'm just struck by so much of what I see online today. So many people are, especially younger viewers, are seeing that same kind of pure joy, for lack of a better word, and angst for the future. And don't take it away. And please keep doing more of this. You know, and how her generation probably didn't understand it all then either. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting just in terms of this letter, which is like, you know, for her to see these these black and white tales, you know, it really just meant so much. And I think 
in my generation and sort of the generations below me, it's about seeing yourself on screen, living as a complete human being, not relegated to the sideline, not relegated to uh, sort of a, a one person who sort of represents all of their entire culture. And I think that is the way in which we're sort of seeing that play out on Discovery really beautifully. Yeah, whether uh, black, white, brown, or blue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, listen, no, this has been such a great discussion. Uh, so thanks for, for joining us. Uh, and thanks for the times you've been with us, Best. We'll, we'll keep the line open here. And you know what? I keep saying, um, COVID has done crazy things with all shows, all productions, and all of that. But uh, they had you as an Andorian, you know, blue paint, white hair. Anything's so, possible. There's any all kinds of colors out there, <laughs> all kinds of wigs, and occasionally they even let people play humans too. There you so. go. Yeah. I, I, anyway, they would be they would be crazy to let me do that, but but yes, of course. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see. Anyway, thanks so much. Stay safe. Say wherever you are having to to uh, have your domicile at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Stay safe and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Now, all of our documents, as always, and your chance to comment, are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47, that's me, at larrynimacek.com. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry Podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.